Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. Now, we gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. In person, uh, we have kids' church, we have worship, we have prayer, we have community. And then throughout the week, we are restarting our small groups. They took their summer break, but they are starting back up. You can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. We have Sunday morning small group. We have youth group on uh, Tuesday nights, young adults small group our online Zoom small group on Wednesday nights, and then uh, we're looking to start a new small group in the fall as well. If you have any questions, if you need prayer, uh, if you uh, just want to be connected with us, you can check out our website, faithonhill.com, or you can email me directly. My name's Adam, I'm the pastor here, and so you can email adam at faithonhill.com. We're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. So why don't you open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew 18, in verse 15, says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And here Jesus is quoting from the law from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, which was one of the rules of Israel. You couldn't just say, you know, he said, she said, uh, you know, hearsay was not admissible in court. Uh, There had to be witnesses established. So what Jesus is saying is, if you go and they won't hear you, bring some witnesses along and say, I know that this is going on. I know that you did this. And if they still won't hear you, Now you have witnesses who said, we have heard that this happened, that the things were done properly, that somebody went and brought their concern to the person and the person rejected it. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, did they have churches then? No, the church was not yet established. I believe what's going on here is that Matthew is telling the people, uh, in their context, Jesus probably said, if you, if they won't listen to you, and then you bring a couple witnesses along to stand with you and say, we are in agreement with this concern, then you go and you tell it to the assembly. Uh, you know, for them, it might be their village. You might tell it to the synagogue. The idea was the, the assembly would be told. The community would be informed. And so Matthew, I believe, is just kind of putting it into the context of his readers, because for them, community, just as it does in our day, centered around the church, or at least it's supposed to. If uh, they won't listen to you or even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I know that sounds harsh. We'll get to that in a minute. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. This is God's word. Well, last week, Jesus ended the teaching on who is the greatest in the kingdom with the parable of the lost sheep. And he said, hey, if any of you have a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing, You leave the 99 behind and go looking for that one lost sheep. And and he concludes the teaching on who's the greatest in the kingdom by saying, you guys are trying to figure out who's the most important, who's the best, who's the top dog. And you're concerned about being the most popular, 
the most important, the most prominent among the 99 sheep, instead of being concerned about that one sheep that's wandered away. And that's what Jesus came to do was to seek and save the lost. He said, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you're not going to look to be prominent among the 99. You're going to be look to be one who goes and helps rescue that one lost sheep. It's really hard to be seeking your own kingdom when you're out looking for the lost and the wandering and the missing. But Jesus doesn't just end a teaching with that parable. He begins a new teaching with that same parable. If you have a hundred sheep and one goes astray, you leave the 99 behind and you go after the one. Why is that? Because people will go astray. The, the, the thrust of the scripture that we just read was what happens if there's sin in the church? What happens if someone goes astray? And let me tell you, people will. It's, it's just like Jesus said the other week, you know, it's, it's terrible that sin is going to happen, but it is going to happen because people are sinners and people go ways they shouldn't go. And so what do you do when, not if, when it happens? So Jesus begins this teaching and he says, if somebody sins against you or sins in general against God, what do you do with them? Do you put yourself, puff yourself up? Oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. By the way, remember in verse one of chapter 18, we studied it last week, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it me? Is it that guy? It's probably me, but you know, who is it? It's where you will be tempted most, I believe, to feel like you are the greatest is when somebody sins differently than you do. When somebody sins in a way that is not an issue for you or for me, and then we can feel good about ourselves and we can feel like we're the greatest in the kingdom. I've never done that. I would never do that. I can't believe that they did that. And then I can start to feel puffed up, better, superior, instead of having the heart of God who is truly superior, who is truly better. And his heart was not, oh my goodness, can you believe how horrible my children are? His heart was to come and to rescue us. So Jesus says, hey, what do you do if somebody sins? Now, some translations say if your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault. Other translations say if your brother and your sister sins against you, go and point out your fault. One of the big questions that I hear a lot as a pastor is, am I supposed to go and talk to somebody? I see this thing going on and it seems wrong. It doesn't seem just like I wouldn't do that or it's not my preference, but it seems sinful. What do I do? Well, I ask questions then. Did they sin against you? Right? Was there sin against you directly? Do you have a relational reason to go and speak to them? What I mean by that is this, you know, um, this, you know, you hear in the news, social media somewhere that a well-known prominent Christian sister or brother has sinned. I don't know them. I've never met them. They don't know who I am. Why would I call them, like call their, you know, their church office or email the ministry contact page or whatever, and, uh, or they're a Christian businessman or businesswoman, and they, they were prominent and they fell into sin. And why would I call them? I don't know them. I don't have a relational responsibility towards them. And I don't have relational authority to speak into their lives. But there are people who I'm close to, who I've 
walked alongside and they've walked along life with me and we have connection. And then I have a responsibility. I have a really great regret in my life. One of my best friends ever, one of my best friends ever fell into sin. In fact, at this point, he does not uh, actively walk as a Christian. And I waited too long out of fear. I waited too long out of fear to go and just say, I see what's happening in your life and I am concerned. I'm saying this not because I'm judging you. I'm saying this because I am fearful for you out of love for you, out of my great love for you. Because I had relational responsibility. Sometimes people think, oh, it's the pastor's job. The pastor's going to be the one to go and to just call this person out and tell it like it is. But it's like, you know them. You have connection to them. I was not this guy's pastor, but I was his friend. And I had way more responsibility towards him, I believe, than the pastor of his church did because I just knew him really well. And we had done so many things together. Jesus says, if somebody sins, and not like if, but when, somebody sins, go to them. Because maybe they don't know. First of all, maybe they don't know. There have been times in my life where I have not realized how I was acting wasn't cool. And all of us have had that. We got to give grace that every person might have a point in their life where they just don't see what's going on. I didn't think it was a big deal. And then somebody came and spoke into my life. And, and then I was like, oh, hey, this isn't cool. Maybe how I'm, how I'm acting, how I'm treating people, a heart attitude, an action, whatever. There are people who just don't know that they're sinning. By the way, there's a whole book in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. And, and we talked about this uh, recently on, uh, I think it was 20-minute Bible study podcast. But uh, shameless plug for that, by the way. But it, it, the idea was that they had parts of the Bible when the people were taken into captivity and exile in Babylon, uh, but they didn't have all of it. And then they get back to Jerusalem, they start rebuilding the walls of the city, they start to rebuild the temple, and as they're clearing rubble and rebuilding, they find a library that has the complete Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, up to that point. And they, they just set up a, a little platform and Ezra the priest got up and just began to read the law of God. And as it was read aloud to them clearly, they began to weep because they realized the reason that our people were sent into captivity and exile was because our ancestors did not keep God's law. And then they started to realize this is something I'm not keeping either. My ancestors knew it was God's law and they rebelled anyway. I have been sinning against God and I haven't even realized it. And so they repented and they wept and they mourned and they changed their ways to live according to God's ways. I believe this is true in all generations. Every culture has things that they believe or, or stand by that are in line in general terms with God's law. And every culture and every context has things that they believe or stand by in general terms that are contrary to God's law. And so it's easy for us to follow God in some areas because it lines up with our cultural predisposition. And then for another culture, it's the opposite. And they have a real easy time following God in some way that's hard for us. And in some other way that's easy for us, they're like, I, I don't see what the big deal is. I don't know why I have to change how I live. All of us have that, different cultures, different generations. But it doesn't change the truth of God's 
holiness. It doesn't change the truth of God's perfection. It doesn't change the truth that God, who is our creator, knows how we ought to live and move and breathe and how we ought to act with one another and towards our neighbors and towards God and towards those who haven't come yet and all of these things. So Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, sins in general or sins against you, go and connect with them. And, and maybe they don't even realize it. Oh my goodness, you're right. I have been acting this way. You know, I remember being in a conversation where somebody said something incredibly racist. And then they said, but I'm not racist. And, and one of their, their grandchildren was like, no, that's actually a pretty racist thing you just said. I, as the pastor, I didn't even have to say anything. It was just like, oh, that's taken care of. I, I'm just going to sit back and let this, let this thing play out within the family, you know? This idea of, you know, we don't even realize sometimes. There are things that, you know what, each generation, each group just has to come to terms with. So Jesus says, hey, go. But if they won't listen to you, go and get somebody else. Get some witnesses. You know, stand together. There's unity in this. Why? Well, first of all, if you go and you get a witness and you say, hey, can you come with me? Why? I've got to explain what's going on. I've got to give some backstory. And if they don't agree with me, like if I was to say, hey, you know what? Frank is just really screwing up. He's doing this, he's doing this. And, and I get a couple people and they go, yeah, Adam, that's not a big deal. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. This is nothing. Like you're, you are just being legalistic. Uh, you've got a cultural preference. It's not actually sinful. Uh, if you want to, you know, that whole discussion of is it sinful? Is it just cultural preference? Uh, you can go back a few months. I think it's a month and a half ago. We did a, a Bible study called what rules do I have to follow? So I'm just going to send you back to that if you want to kind of have that discussion. But maybe they, they check me and they say, hey, you know what, Adam, we don't think it's sinful. But if they agree, then we can stand in unity together and together speak into the life of this brother or sister that we care about and say, we are worried about you. We see this happening. What you are doing is not right before God. What you are doing is not right towards other people. What you have done is not right towards me. And if they won't listen to you, then he says, go tell it to the church. And if they won't listen to the church, then treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Why? That seems harsh. Well, let me get into some real specific things. Um, and because and, and, I think what happens is we can get to these big ideas, these big, larger concepts, and then we never talk about specific issues. I crowdsourced it this week. I sent texts to multiple people, pastors and non-pastors, uh, older and younger, uh, different theological traditions or types of churches. And I sent a text to a bunch of people that I knew. And I just said, I have this one question. It's for this sermon. What is the number one way that Christians sin against other Christians inside the church? And there were a bunch of different answers, but clearly the most common response that I got was gossip. What happens if somebody's gossiping? And, you know, you hear like, hey, this person has saying all kinds of things about you or your family or the way you're raising your kids or, you know, this thing that you've done or how you dress or how you talk or what movies you go see or what you do or you don't drink. Like, there's gossip happening. What happens then? That's the number one response I got was gossip. So let's say that somebody is gossiping. And, and I've had this happen before. Like, I, I have, I've called people up and I've said, hey, man. I heard that you said this about me. I heard that you said this is going on. 
but you know what? I know that people get things wrong. I know that, um, you know what? Stuff gets misunderstood. So I just want to have like a clear the air. Can we just, if you got something to say, let me hear it because maybe I'm wrong. You know, you don't have to go to a person and be like, what did you say? I can't believe you said this and just start blasting into them. Because remember how Jesus started the teaching. If you have a lost sheep, you go and you find the lost sheep. If somebody is wandering, if somebody is sinning, do I want to blast them or do I want to bring them back? Let's say that, um, you know, let's say that they, they go, no, I didn't say any of that. It's just a lie. And you say, well, I, look, I've had five people tell me that, that you said this. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. So let's say that I go and get like three of those five people and they're in the church. And I said, did they say this? Yes. They're saying they didn't. Would you come with me and, and just confirm this? And then they go, and they're just like, no, no, I wouldn't do it. I didn't say it. Actually, when I was in high school, this happened where uh, a gal in the youth group stole like a lot of money, like a couple thousand dollars from the parents of another kid in the youth group. There was a youth event. Everybody was over at this one house and they stole a bunch of cash. They went up to a bedroom, stole a bunch of cash and a credit card and they took the cash and the credit card and the next day they went shopping. And the mom is like, I can't find my credit card. Where's this cash? She calls her credit card company, cancels the card, but she finds out that like a lot of money had already been spent uh, shopping that morning. And it got found out because somebody saw the card, you know, it, the, in the kid's car or something like that. I, but basically, the person who saw the card was like, hey, that's the credit card that went missing because people had heard about this. What are you doing with it? No, I didn't do that. I don't know how that got in here. So they, they went and said to the, went and told the, the parents of the friends of ours, like, hey, um, I saw this person and their, your credit card was in their car. And so they, they called up the parents of this girl and said, hey, um, you know, this is what's going on. The parents asked the daughter. The daughter said, no, it wasn't. They're lying. And so the parents just said, no, my daughter says you're lying. It can't be true. So they went to the pastors and the elders of the church and they said, hey, here's the situation. Like, we believe this girl stole like a couple thousand dollars from us. Um, and, and she will not, like, we, you know, according to testimony of somebody who saw the credit card in her car, she had it. She did it but she will not confess. And then, uh, you know, security camera footage of, of uh, you know, the gap or wherever she went, you know, you can see at the time the credit card was used, oh, that's her. And so the pastors came and she would not repent. She would not fess up. And I get it. She, maybe she was embarrassed. You know, some people just go into like fight or flight and she just maybe who knows the reasons why somebody does what they do. But the whole goal was just like, can you just confess so that we can help walk with you to a place of, of healing, of health? Because there's something unhealthy. There's something not good in your life that you're stealing, not just from strangers, you're stealing from your friends. And when you're caught, you just won't fess up. It says, go tell it to the church. Does that mean that it should have been made public? No. In fact, I never found out all the details. I'm actually telling a story. Admittedly, I don't know all the details. Because what happened was people with direct knowledge knew. And then when she was basically told, you can't come to church, you can't come to youth group. And you might think that sounds harsh, but the reason was repentance. The reason was to say, you can't just come and pretend like nothing happened. We know that this thing is happening. We know that this thing is going on. And if you refuse to repent, not about us, but to God, 
If you refuse to repent, you cannot come. The idea was when it says treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, how did Jesus treat tax collectors? Well, Jesus treated tax collectors and pagans with love, with mercy, and with grace, but a call to repentance. The idea was we're not going to pretend that you are part of this church family and there's nothing wrong. But I'm going to tell you that it's really rare that it ever gets to that point in a church. It's really rare. It almost never gets that far. The reason is people just bail. The, the most common thing that happens in churches when it comes to somebody who sins in the church is one of two things. Either one, people sweep it under the rug. Yes, we know that this person is sinning. Yes, we know that these folks over there did something wrong. Yes, we know that that guy did this or that gal did that. But we're just going to ignore it. And I have seen this in churches in, in a lot of different ways. I've seen it where everybody in the church knows that so-and-so uh, has an anger issue and will lash out at people and will treat people badly and people just kind of go, oh, you know, that's just, that's, just, that's just how she is. I've seen it where somebody, everybody knows that that guy is racist. So, oh, you know, he's just from that generation. I, you know, we've seen it where we know that, like, you know, hey, this, this, these people or this couple have, have sinned in a sexual way and we're just going to pretend like it's not happening. And, and, if, and if we're honest, like, that was a thing that was happening at our church a while back. We're just going to be honest about it. That there was a lot of things that were like somewhat well-known sinful things going on and people just kind of ignored it. The reason that happens, I think, a lot of the time is it's a extreme, unhealthy pendulum swing. You know, something's bad and so we go the complete opposite way so that you go so far away from bad that it becomes bad again. It's a complete, unhealthy pendulum swing away from the type of church where they don't ignore it. They kick you to the curb. Oh, really? You did something we think is sinful? You're gone. Oh, really? You did something we think is sinful? We are going to publicly shame you. Oh, really? You did something that, that, not just we think, but maybe it is sinful, but instead of caring about you and loving you and trying to bring you back into relationship, we're just going to let you sit in the penalty box and we are never going to let you forget it. And we're going to put that scarlet letter on your, on your clothes and everybody's going to remember who you are and what you did, and you will never live it down. And that's the two main ways that I have seen experientially that people deal with sin in the church. Either they ignore it, or they kick people to the curb. Neither one of these things is healthy. Neither one of these things is good. What Jesus is calling us to is to engage. Jesus is calling us to step into engagement with people and say, hey, we're not ignoring this. We're not kicking you to the curb. We love you. God loves you. We're not any better than you. We all need the forgiveness of Jesus, but we want to help and, and walk with you into a place of healing. That's hard work. Most people don't want to do that kind of work because it takes time and it's messy. And we don't like the mess or the time commitment. Now, remember I said it almost never gets to this point? It's true. And here's why. Because what Jesus was talking about, what Jesus was talking about was within a context that does not exist anymore. 
So what I try to do is I try to find the principle, and I think this is just true of our church in general. We try to find the principle. What is it, the, the big idea that Jesus is getting at? And then we say, Lord, help us with your spirit, with your wisdom, with your love. How do we live within that principle, within that truth, in a context that is totally different than what existed when Jesus was teaching and preaching in Israel and when the church was originally established. So you have the writings, the teachings, the apostles, and they're telling you, hey, uh, you know, this is what Jesus said, so this is how you do it in the church because it's a totally different context, right? How many churches, I counted recently, just in our denomination, just in the Pacific Conference, in a 15-minute drive, there's like 12, 13 churches just in our conference of churches in a 15, 20-minute drive. Add to that all of the churches from independent, non-denominational, Baptist, Calvary Chapel, uh, Pentecostal, uh, Assembly of God, Foursquare, uh, so on, Lutheran, you know, so on, so on, so on. What happens is, before it ever gets to this point, somebody says, hey man, what's going on? This doesn't seem right. And people bail. I'm out. I'm gone. I'll go down to that church down the way. It's so big, nobody knows that I'm there. And, and nobody will ever question me for showing up and like, hey, where did you come from? What's going on? Oh, I'll go to that church over there. And it never gets to that point. We're in a broken system. People bail right away. So we try to find the principle. The goal is to bring people back into relationship. The goal is to bring people back into a place of fellowship with God and with his people. Now, that's one of the reasons, it's not the main reason, but it's one of the reasons that I strive really hard to have relational connection to the other pastors in the area. So that, like, let's say somebody was in, in some kind of, like, serious sin, and they bailed, and then I hear, hey, they're down at, you know, Two Rivers Church, or they're over at, uh, they're over at um, Hillside, or they're, they're down at Hope City. I know all those guys. I can call them up. I've been called up by them and said, hey, you know, so-and-so came over here from your church. I say, hey, you know what? Uh, just a season of their life, you know, praise the Lord, they're still going to church and, and, you know, enjoy them. You know, they're great. I've had it where I've called up somebody and said, hey, just so you know, like this person left, but it wasn't on good terms. And the church said, oh, whatever. And that's the brokenness of the system. There's a church locally I can think of right now where somebody left sinfully. And it's not just my opinion. We did the this thing here in Matthew 18, I went to them and, and then uh, Dave Centers and I, and Dave Centers is one of our key leaders, you know, we sat down with, with them and said, hey, we see this as a thing and, and we're not ignoring it and we're not kicking you to the curb. Like nobody's kicking you out of this church. We just want to walk with you and help bring you back in, in, a, in a healthy way. They're gone right away. So I let know, you know, hey, church they went to, just say, so you know, this is the situation. And they didn't want to hear it. Why? Because it's more people in the building. We live in a broken system right now. And we are so far removed that like, you're like, oh man, is it ever going to get to this? Honestly, experientially in the last 20 years of being a pastor, it almost never gets to the place that Jesus is talking about anymore. It would be healthier for us if it could. It would be healthier. Because this isn't a system of control or a system of oppression. Think about this. This is I grew up in a church that had so much grace and so much forgiveness and so many second chances given to people. But think about this. There was a guy in the church who left his wife 
And then the week after leaving his wife out of nowhere, left his wife, she had no warning. I'm filing for divorce. I'm gone. The next Sunday, he showed up to church with his new girlfriend that nobody's ever met before, but he's got this new girlfriend. And the wife's there and she's just in tears. And he's trying to act like it's no big deal. I'm going to show up. And one of the pastors came up to the guy. I was there. He said, you got to go. What do you mean? This is church. Everybody's welcome here. He said, no, you're not welcome here. You've sinned against your wife. You're hurting her. You've broken your vows. And not only that, but you've come here in a way that flaunts your sin as if it's okay. Until you're ready to repent, you cannot come here. There are other situations I've seen where somebody wants to come to church and they're not repentant, but it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to the church where we've said, look, you are not um, in a place where we are condoning what you are doing. But we also, there have been times where people have come and it's been like, you know what? They're going to hear the truth of God every Sunday morning, so let them come. But understand, we are, we are considering you in sin. And you know what? Rare times, but I've seen it where people come. And so the goal is to bring people back, right? That's the whole goal. It's not to shame people. One of the really sick and twisted things I've heard of is churches that take this and think that that means that if somebody, somebody was abused, that they need to go to their abuser. Like, I've seen this. You know, where people say, oh, you know what? I don't listen to that charge, that accusation of sin because they didn't do Matthew 18 right and they didn't go to their abuser and then they didn't, you know, like that's not what Jesus is doing here. This is about bringing people back into a place of repentance. If somebody was abusing somebody, they would get arrested, right? They would be taken, like there, there wouldn't be like, oh, just go tell somebody in the church. This would be like the town sheriff or, you know, however they did law enforcement back then would come and get that person. This is just about people, you know, sinning against each other. And this happens. I've heard of people who have stolen from others in the church. I referenced that earlier. There's another one where uh, I, I gave a guy a computer, a pretty nice computer. It needed something fixed on it. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, here, uh, if you give me this much money, I can fix it. And cool, save me some money. I gave him the money. I never saw the computer or that money again. This kind of stuff happens. Uh, you know, people that get into business dealings with other Christians and there's like fraud and it's like, what happened? This stuff's real. But the whole goal is to bring people back. We don't want to ignore sin. We don't want to shame people as if we were somehow better than them because we're not. We want to engage with people so that we get brought back into a place of healing and and holiness and, and just a holistic place of health before God and around with each other. Jesus ends the teaching with this. He tells a story. He said, hey, there was a guy. He was the servant of the king. He's one of the king's like chief servants. And he borrowed a hundred bags of gold. Not a hundred gold coins, not a hundred dollars, but a hundred bags full of gold coins. And he lost it all. And he could never repay the debt. And he was going to get thrown in debtor's prison. And so he goes to the king and he begs and he says, King, I need more time. I will find a way to repay you. And the king has mercy on this servant. And he says, your sin, your debt is forgiven. It's washed away. And so the man leaves full of joy. This debt is gone. And then he sees another servant who owed him a hundred gold coins. Remember, the king has just, just cleared the debt of a hundred bags of gold. And this guy just owes him some coins. And he goes and he grabs the guy and Jesus says he starts choking him and he pushes him against the wall and he's choking him out and he says, you owe me this money. And the guy says, I don't have it. 
And so he, he gets the guards to come and seize him and they throw him in the debtor's prison. And he goes home. And the king hears about this, this servant that he forgave an impossible debt, but who threw somebody else for a pittance into the debtor's prison. And he says, you wicked servant. And he got the guy out of prison and he threw the servant in prison. And he said, you, you wicked servant, I've, I've forgiven you everything. Jesus ends that by saying, this is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus forgave us everything. Jesus knows every sin that I have ever done, every sin that you have ever done. He knows all the sins that people know about. He knows all the sins that only we know about. He knows all the sins that even we don't know about, that nobody knows. We didn't even realize we were sinning and nobody else saw it. He knows about everything. And he forgave us. Forgiven people forgive much. And this parable shows us Jesus saying, this is why you need to forgive. People will sin against you. People will do things that are not right by you or by others. People will do things that they shouldn't do. We've been forgiven much. We need to forgive much. We also need to forgive to stand right before God. I could say, oh, you know, me and God, we're good. But if I walk around with a load of unforgiveness, how am I any better than, than anyone else? I got a phone call recently. Somebody who I, I would say was not great towards me a while back. But they needed help with something. And, and, and I'm not saying this to be like, hey, I did this great thing. I'm going to tell you, I had to really pray through it. But I took the call. I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. I took the call. And, and I was able to hopefully be of some help to this person. They're a brother in Christ. We're all going to spend eternity in heaven together. And if I sit there in my resentment or my anger, and I sit there in unforgiveness, not only will I not help to bring them into a better place, but I'll put myself in a worse place. I'll put myself in a prison of anger and resentment and I will damage my relationship with God. Does that mean that God doesn't love me anymore? Does that mean that Jesus isn't getting me to heaven? No, but it means that my relationship with God is damaged, that my connection to God is damaged, that I can't pray like I should, that I won't have the fullness of life that God wants for me or for you. Jesus says, hey, you're talking about being the greatest. What happens when somebody sins against you? The person who's looking to be the greatest is going to say, put them away, kick them to the curb, just like the man in that parable that Jesus told, throw them in prison, not realizing that we have been forgiven a thousand times, a million times more than anything that anybody could do against us. Jesus paid for every sin. Who am I to hold something against somebody else? Jesus brought you and me back into right relationship with him. Who am I to say, no, that can't be for somebody else? Jesus cared enough about us to show us the truth. Who am I to ignore when somebody sins and say, you know what, I'm just not going to worry about it. And, and instead of doing the hard work, the painful work and engaging so that somebody could be brought into a place of healing and wholeness. That's the word from the Lord today.
hey, I know it's tough. It's tough to forgive when somebody has hurt us. It's tough to find ways to walk in the ways that Jesus wants when our whole system here in 2022 America is the complete opposite of what the Bible talks about for how the church should be structured and organized and how we should live in community towards one another. I know it is tough because there are specific situations like abuse and, and uh, violence and, and all kinds of things where I don't know that it applies. If you have questions, if you have concerns, I'd love to reach out, to have you reach out and talk to me. My email is adam at faithonhill.com. I, I, I'm always happy to talk through things with people because I recognize that these verses have at times been used not to bring people into a place of repentance, but as a way to cover sin and to keep people who have been hurt and victimized in places of shame and isolation. So let's talk. Let me serve you. Let us be a place of safety for you. If you are a believer, you have been forgiven all of your sin. There is no sin that God holds against you because Jesus paid for all of it on the cross. As we become more like Jesus, we learn to live in that forgiveness and to extend that forgiveness to other people. For those who are not believers, you have sinned against God just like I have. The difference is that you have not experienced the forgiveness of God because you have not surrendered to him. You have not accepted his offer of salvation. You might say, ah, you know what, somebody did something wrong against me. But that pales to what you have done against God. And the invitation of salvation is there. The offer of forgiveness is there. Jesus cares about you so much that he will leave the rest of us behind to go get you. But you have to take his hand and let him pull you out of the mire and the muck and the prison that you are in. And he will. If you just call out to him, he'll meet you where you're at. May God bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.